0: Section nine of the Fireside Chats of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Fireside Chats of Franklin Delano Roosevelt by Franklin D. Roosevelt. Section nine, March nine, nineteen thirty-seven. Part one last thursday i described in detail certain economic problems which everyone admits now face the nation for the many messages which have come to me after that speech and which it is physically impossible to answer individually i take this means of saying thank you tonight sitting at my desk in the white house i make my first radio report to the people In my second term of office I am reminded of that evening in March four years ago when I made my first radio report to you we were then in the midst of the great banking crisis soon after with the authority of the Congress we asked the nation to turn over all of its privately held gold dollar for dollar to the government of the United States today's recovery proves how right that policy was but when almost two years later it came before the supreme court its constitutionality was upheld only by a five to four vote the change of one vote would have thrown all the affairs of this great nation back into hopeless chaos in effect four justices ruled that the right under a private contract to exact a pound of flesh was more sacred than the main objectives of the constitution to establish an enduring nation in nineteen thirty three you and i knew that we must never let our economic system get completely out of joint again that we could not afford to take the risk of another great depression we also became convinced that the only way to avoid a repetition of those dark days was to have a government with power to prevent and to cure the abuses and the inequalities which had thrown that system out of joint we then began a program of remedying those abuses and inequalities to give balance and stability to our economic system to make it bomb-proof against the causes of 1929 today we are only part way through that program and recovery is speeding up to a point where the dangers of 1929 are again becoming possible not this week or month perhaps but within a year or two national laws are needed to complete that program Individual or local or state effort alone cannot protect us in 1937 any better than ten years ago. It will take time, and plenty of time, to work out our remedies administratively, even after legislation is passed. To complete our program of protection in time, therefore, we cannot delay one moment in making certain that our national government has power to carry through four years ago action did not come until the eleventh hour it was almost too late if we learned anything from the depression we will not allow ourselves to run around in new circles of futile discussion and debate always postponing the day of decision The american people have learned from the depression for in the last three national elections an overwhelming majority of them voted a mandate that the congress and the president begin the task of providing that protection not after long years of debate but now the courts however have cast doubts on the ability of the elected congress to protect us against catastrophe by meeting squarely our modern social and economic conditions we are at a crisis in our ability to proceed with that protection it is a quiet crisis there are no lines of depositors outside closed banks but to the far-sighted it is far-reaching in its possibilities of injury to america i want to talk with you very simply about the need for present action in this crisis the need to meet the unanswered challenge of one-third of a nation ill-nourished ill-clad ill-housed last thursday i described the american form of government as a three-horse team provided by the constitution to the american people so that their field might be plowed the three horses are of course the three branches of government the congress the executive and the courts two of the horses are pulling in unison today the third is not those who have intimated that the president of the united states is trying to drive that team overlook the simple fact that the president as chief executive is himself one of the three horses it is the american people themselves who are in the driver's seat it is the american people themselves who want the furrow plowed it is the american people themselves who expect the third horse to pull in unison with the other two i hope that you have reread the constitution of the united states in these past few weeks like the bible it ought to be read again and again it is an easy document to understand when you remember that it was called into being because the articles of confederation under which the original thirteen states tried to operate after the revolution showed the need of a national government With power enough to handle national problems in its preamble the Constitution states that it was intended to form a more perfect Union and promote the general welfare and the powers given to the Congress to carry out those purposes can be best described by saying that they were all the powers needed to meet each and every problem which then had a national character and which could not be met by merely local action but the framers went further having in mind that in succeeding generations many other problems then undreamed of would become national problems they gave to the congress the ample broad powers to levy taxes and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the united states that my friends is what i honestly believe to have been the clear and underlying purpose of the patriots who wrote a federal constitution to create a national government with national power intended as they said to form a more perfect union for ourselves and our posterity for nearly twenty years There was no conflict between the Congress and the court then Congress passed a statute which in 1803 the court said violated an express provision of the Constitution the court claimed the power to declare it unconstitutional and did so declare it but a little later the court itself admitted that it was an extraordinary power to exercise and through mr justice washington laid down this limitation upon it it is but a decent respect due to the wisdom the integrity and the patriotism of the legislative body by which any law is passed to presume in favour of its validity until its violation of the Constitution is proved beyond all reasonable doubt but since the rise of the modern movement for social and economic progress through legislation the court has more and more often and more and more boldly asserted a power to veto laws passed by the Congress and state legislatures in complete disregard of this original limitation in the last four years the sound rule of giving statutes the benefit of all reasonable doubt has been cast aside the court has been acting not as a judicial body but as a policy-making body when the congress has sought to stabilize national agriculture to improve the conditions of labor to safeguard business against unfair competition to protect our national resources and in many other ways to serve our clearly national needs the majority of the court has been assuming the power to pass on the wisdom of these acts of the congress and to approve or disapprove the public policy written into these laws that is not only my accusation it is the accusation Of most distinguished justices of the present Supreme Court I have not the time to quote to you all the language used by dissenting justices in many of these cases but in the case holding the Railroad Retirement Act unconstitutional for instance Chief Justice Hughes said in a dissenting opinion that the majority opinion was a departure from sound principles and placed an unwarranted limitation upon the Commerce Clause, and three other justices agreed with him. In the case of holding the AAA unconstitutional, Justice Stone said of the majority opinion that it was a tortured construction of the Constitution, and two other justices agreed with him in the case holding the new york minimum wage law unconstitutional justice stone said that the majority were actually reading into the constitution their own personal economic predilections and that if the legislative power is not left free to choose the methods of solving the problems of poverty subsistence and health of large numbers in the community then government is to be rendered impotent and two other justices agreed with him in the face of these dissenting opinions there is no basis for the claim made by some members of the court that something in the constitution has compelled them regretfully to thwart the will of the people in the face of such dissenting opinions it is perfectly clear that as chief justice hughes has said we are under a constitution but the constitution is what the judges say it is the court in addition to the proper use of its judicial functions has improperly set itself up as a third house of the congress a super legislature as one of the justices has called it reading into the constitution words and implications which are not there and which were never intended to be there we have therefore reached the point as a nation where we must take action to save the constitution from the court and the court from itself we must find a way to take an appeal from the supreme court to the constitution itself we want a supreme court which will do justice under the constitution not over it in our courts we want a government of laws and not of men i want as all americans want an independent judiciary as proposed by the framers of the constitution that means a supreme court that will enforce the constitution as written That will refuse to amend the constitution by the arbitrary exercise of judicial power amended by judicial say-so it does not mean a judiciary so independent that it can deny the existence of facts which are universally recognized how then could we proceed to perform the mandate given us it was said in last year's democratic platform if these problems cannot be effectively solved within the constitution we shall seek such clarifying amendments as will assure the power to enact those laws adequately to regulate commerce protect public health and safety and safeguard economic security in other words we said we would seek an amendment only if every other possible means by legislation were to fail when i commenced to review the situation with the problem squarely before me i came by a process of elimination to the conclusion that short of amendments the only method which was clearly constitutional and would at the same time carry out other much needed reforms was to infuse new blood into all our courts we must have men worthy and equipped to carry out impartial justice but at the same time we must have judges who will bring to the courts a present-day sense of the constitution judges who will retain in the courts the judicial functions of a court and reject the legislative powers which the courts have today assumed In 45 out of the 48 states of the Union, judges are chosen not for life, but for a period of years. In many states, judges must retire at the age of 70. Congress has provided financial security by offering life pensions at full pay for federal judges on all courts who are willing to retire at 70. In the case of Supreme Court justices, that pension is $20,000 a year. But all federal judges, once appointed, can, if they choose, hold office for life, no matter how old they may get to be. End of Section 9 Recording by Linda Johnson